But you watch it, you feel kind of pulled towards it. You're very intrigued by this. The sound continues, the rumble gets stronger, and you're watching this dark spot. And it's obviously moving towards you because it's getting larger. It gets closer, and it gets closer, and you, and you can tell it's moving. It's moving quickly. It's moving towards you, and it's dark. And although it's dark, it's got kind of this radiance coming off of it, this light coming off of it. <clears throat> you continue to watch, and soon you're able to see that you think it's a car. It's coming towards you, and you're really pulled and drawn to this image, this thing that's coming at you. It gets close enough, and you see that it's a train, You're standing there, and it begins to zoom by you. It's going pretty quickly. You don't know what it is, where it's going, but you feel this pull towards it. It's dark. It's shiny black. It says express. You know that you need to be on this train. It's just, you don't know why, but there's just pull at you. So you look both directions. You don't see any train stops. It says express, so you don't think it's going to stop. So soon you find yourself moving in the direction of the train alongside of it. Soon you find yourself running alongside of it, trying to figure out how you're going to get on. And finally, you see kind of this uh, hand rail and this running board, but you have to run really fast to catch up to it. Before you know it, you're running as fast as you possibly can alongside this train. You're sweating, and you're just trying to get up the courage to jump up on there. Can you see it in your mind? Have you ever felt that way? I started working here about three weeks ago, and actually Reverend Janice said to me, you kind of feel like you're trying to jump on a moving train, don't you? And I thought, that is exactly how I feel. Have you ever tried to start a new job and it's just whizzing by you and you're trying to get in, you know, get in the groove, even figuring out what's going on? Or maybe you've moved to a new neighborhood and you're trying to get in with the flow of things. Or maybe you have a partner and you're trying to Get in with the flow of the new group of friends or the family. Breaking into an in-law family can be difficult. You're trying to just get in. You're trying to jump on, or maybe you feel like your life is just speeding by you. I'm sure none of y'all ever felt that way, but I felt that way a few times. Like my life is just speeding by me, and I'm just trying to jump into it, get into the flow of it, even moving in the same direction as everything else around me. Has anyone ever felt that way? Yeah, I'm the only one, huh? No, a few people in the choir felt that way. Thank you, choir. I love the choir. Well, I have to wonder if Paul didn't feel that way. Our reading today came from the book of Romans. And Paul wrote the letter to the Romans, we believe. Paul wrote about half of the New Testament. um, And all of the writings he wrote were letters to churches, specific letters to specific churches dealing with specific issues. And let me tell you what was going on in Rome at the time that Paul wrote. In the year, in the late 40s, the Common Era, which is the era we're in, there was the, an emperor, and his name was Claudius, and he was fairly anti-Jewish. He got very upset with the Jews and basically expelled the Jews from Rome. They had to leave or they were killed, including the Jewish Christians at the time. So they left Rome, which was the capital. Well, Claudius eventually died in the early 50s, about 52, 53, and we we got a new emperor, Nero. Well, Nero was more favorable to the Jews and allowed the Jews to come back into Rome. And this is what they found. In the absence of the Jewish Christians, the Gentile Christians had to continue the church. Now, we have the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. They were very different. The Gentile Christians weren't as versed in Scripture as the Jewish Christians. It's like when you 
you know, I was raised Catholic, so it's like when I interact with my Baptist friends who can quote scripture backwards and forwards. As Catholic people, we can't do that. We just weren't raised that way. Um, Unless you study it really diligently. But you know, when you're young and you grow up with those things over and over, you just get it in your skin a little bit more. Well, it was like that. The Gentile Christians, they didn't know scripture like the Jewish Christians. The Jewish Christians also followed the Jewish law. Lots of laws, particularly laws about food and about being circumcised. Well, the the Gentile Christians, not only did they not follow them, they didn't even know what those laws really were. They weren't raised that way. They were converts to not the Jewish faith, the Christian faith, but the Jewish Christians brought all that with them. So the Jews were exiled from Rome, so the Gentile Christians carried on the Christian church the best way they could. They became leaders, and they did things the way that they knew how to do things. At the same time, church stopped being in the synagogues and started being in the homes because, again, they were kind of anti-Jewish, anti-religion, so they, they got rid of the synagogues and they were having church in the homes. So the Gentile Christians carried on as best they could. Even if they wanted to follow the law and recite the scriptures, they just weren't as versed. So it wasn't that they d- didn't think there was a use for them. They really didn't have the knowledge to do that. So when Nero took over, he allowed the, Gent- the um, Jewish Christians to come back into town, and they did, and they found a situation that they really didn't like. Now, I know this is going to be hard for you to imagine, but just kind of work with me. There was some bickering and fighting in the early Christian church. <laughs> I know, I know it's hard to imagine, but just kind of listen, and maybe you can kind of get the... You know, they didn't do things the way they were supposed to be doing things. In fact, they even moved when they had communion, how dare they? How could they do that? They didn't do it the same. They didn't do it right. And so there was some really tenseness, tension between the Jewish and the Gentile Christians. Now, neither of them were bad. They just really were used to and believed that the way they did things. So here the Jewish Christians, you know, they really thought, now you don't do it this way. This is serious and not to make fun. They grew up believing, you know, if you didn't follow the law, then you basically weren't honoring God and you were exiled from the family of God. You had to follow the laws exactly as they were written. And the Gentile Christians, not that they really didn't care about it, but they didn't even know what the laws were, so how could they follow them? And they were probably over here saying, hey, y'all left because you were afraid of being killed and we carried on. How about a little thank you? We wouldn't even be here if it weren't for us, would we? So there was this tension going on between them. I know that's hard to imagine in a church. But that's the way it was in the early days of the church. So uh, Paul gets wind of this, and Paul decides to write um, a letter to the church in Rome. Now, the difference in the letter that Paul wrote to the, Rome, to the Romans was he didn't found that church. Not only did he not find it or found, you know, didn't start it, but he didn't uh, even visit it. So he writes this letter and sends it with Phoebe, who is a diaconess in the church. You know, Paul has this reputation of being a woman hater, which you can kind of get from some of the things he says. But on the other hand, you know, he sends this very important letter through Phoebe. So he, he's supportive of women in, in, in some ways. You just have to look for him. Um, Phoebe carries this letter. We think about a thousand miles. So it takes a long time to get to the church in Rome. So they probably are gathered for a service in someone's home, like they do, and they have this letter. Now, if you're thinking, oh my gosh, we're going to run a little long today, let me just tell you. In the early church, they read the whole letter to the Romans. One sitting. That was at, at one service. So they were there for a long time. So always remember it could be worse. <clears throat> always count your blessings. So uh, they get there, and, and now some of them probably thought, oh, that Paul, what is he doing meddling in our business? 
He hadn't even been here. How could he tell us what to do? And other people had probably heard of Paul's reputation and were very eager and open, not like we're like this at all. You know, when you like someone, how you're open to what they say, and when you don't like them, they could say, I'm going to give you a million dollars, and you don't want to have anything to do with it. They were probably the same way. Some people were excited to hear what Paul had to say. Some people were like, yeah, he doesn't have any business telling us what to do. The Jewish people were probably excited because Paul was a Jew. The Gentile people were probably excited because he was a Jew, but yet he was evangelizing the Gentiles. So they both thought, oh good, this guy's going to come and tell those other people how to do it right. We're going to straighten this out. He's going to be on our side. And if you read the whole letter to the Romans, Paul is actually very diplomatic. In one moment you think he's on the Jewish faith side, and on the other moment you think he's on the Gentile side. He really does a very good job of not alienating anyone. Because that's his whole point. He wants to bring them together. Paul actually has an ulterior motive, not that any of us are like this, I'm sure. He he does have a call, obviously. He's a Jewish man, but has a call to evangelize the Gentiles. But he also has, I think, an ulterior motive because he had this vision of evangelizing the world. And his next stop was probably going to be Spain. And he knew that if he was going to go to another land, how was it going to look when the capital at home was all feuding, fighting, bickering about how to do communion? (laughs) How to get together and have the agape meal. How to, how to worship together. That wasn't going to look very good. So Paul knew that he needed to have some unity in the church if he was going to fulfill his mission of going beyond that land and into other lands. He also knew he needed them practically because they needed to translate the scripture into languages that the people where he wanted to go would understand. He also needed them to help somehow... Um, put into some way that they would understand it, worship resources. He was going to need help to do this evangelizing that he wanted to do. So he probably had some very practical ulterior motives. It doesn't mean he, he didn't in his heart really want them to get together. So he writes them this letter. Now this letter to the Romans has been interpreted in lots of ways, like scripture has. I mean, if you, I, I know you get that, but you know, we all get so, well, I know what that means. You know, lots of people think they know exactly what Scripture means, yeah? Lots of different people. Well, Luther, who, who um, initiated the Protestant Reformation, kind of saw the book of Romans summed up in one way. Justification by faith. That's familiar to you. That's in the book of Romans. We are saved by faith, by grace. Now, Luther kind of went on to deduce that if that's true, The Jewish faith is very law-oriented. You have to follow all these rules. But you're not justified by works, which is following the rules. Does that kind of make sense? When you do works, when you follow the law, you're doing works. So Luther deduced that in the Jewish faith, they really believe that you're justified through works. You're earning justification. You're earning salvation. You're earning God's love. But I think that was a little a little bit maybe of an erroneous assumption about the Jewish faith. But that's basically what happened. Romans is about justification by faith, by grace. You don't earn it. God just loves you. It's a gift. And those Jewish people have it wrong because they think you have to follow all these laws and all these rules in order to get, get God's love, in order to be in the family. But I think there's a, an emerging interpretation of Romans. It's a little bit more than that. And that's what I want to think about today. Paul wrote the letter to the Romans because there was a particular church with a particular issue happening. The Jews and the Gentiles were feuding about the way it should be. And it was a very valid argument. How are we going to do it? It's very practical. How are we going to do it? How are we going to get together and worship? And people have very strong opinions about the way that should be done in the early church as well. 
So Paul writes this letter to a particular place in a particular time. And I would venture to say that it's not really about, the whole letter isn't about individual salvation. It's not about how I am saved by God. It's really about who all is included in the family. Paul redefines what the family of God is. And he indeed says, you are justified by faith, not works. By grace, not works. God loves you. It is a gift. You do absolutely nothing to earn it. Nothing. You just get it. That is true. Absolutely true. And therefore, no one is better than anyone else. That no one can boast, that's in the letter to the Romans. None of you can boast. The Baptists can't boast. The Catholics can't boast. None of you can boast. The ones who go to 9 o'clock can't boast. The ones that like the 11 can't boast. If you like it quiet, you can't boast. If you like it loud, you can't boast. Because none of you are better. Everybody is saved. Everybody is justified by grace. Pure, simple gift. If you can memorize and quote scripture back to me, you're no better than me who can't do that very well. I mean, we're just all justified by grace. It is a gift of God. It is just a gift. However, Paul doesn't say so. You Jews, you're just stupid for following that law. Paul doesn't say that. I think Paul interprets it as the Jewish faith follow law because that is their response to, to, the, to, to the gift of grace that God gives them. God's end of the covenant is, I love you no matter what. I just do. And your end of the covenant in the Jewish faith is, I'm going to follow the law. I'm going to follow the law as it's prescribed. That's my end of the covenant. Because I have been justified. Because I have been given this gift. The gift is transformational. I was listening to a CD of Reverend Duane's service uh, sermon last Sunday because I wasn't here. And I thought, well, you know, I should just play his sermon and sit back down because it's kind of the same thing. But, you know, as preachers, if ever given an opportunity to speak, we never give it up. So I didn't do that. Um, it, it is. You know, I, we, just, we come to church and we sit here, y'all, every week, myself included. But do you really get that we are justified, we are saved by grace? It is a gift. We do nothing to earn it. It is extended to us. That, if you get that, is transformational. And that's what Paul was saying to the Romans. When you get that God loves you all, Gentile and Jew alike, and, and don't make little of this. I mean, these were very, very different people, very different cultures, very different understandings. Coming together to worship, that is a miracle, kind of like MCC. People from all different denominations, all different backgrounds coming together and celebrating at the table together. That is a miracle if you've been in church at any length of time. Because it's got to be done one way and one way only. I mean, that's just the way we kind of get in church when you, when you go a long time. So it's a miracle that people can come and worship together. And the Jews and the Gentiles were very, very different. And the fact that they came together, it was transformational when they understood that God justified them purely, simply, by grace, faith, a gift. But if you get that and you are transformed, what Paul said is, then start acting like it. In our reading today, Paul says, love without hypocrisy. Don't say, oh, honey, I love you at church, and then go around and say, did you see what he was wearing? Did you see what he, how he acted or what he did or who he showed up with? That's hypocritical, y'all. 
Paul said, don't do it. Love without hypocrisy. Hate evil. Love what is good. Now, I think we all have a little bit different opinion on what's evil and what's good. But in, the, in our deepest hearts, we could say what's evil and what's good. We know it. We know it. Be devoted to each other like a family. Were you raised? This is how I was raised. Your family, your family for life. I don't care if you like me or not. You're stuck with me. That's how you are in my family. And you know what? You show up at Christmas because you show up at Christmas because you're part of this family. I don't care if you don't want to be here. I don't care if you your family. And if anyone in my family needs something, we're there. That's how we were raised. I think that's what Paul's talking about. Be devoted to one another. Uh, us, this community of faith, we're now the Roman church. We, this is us, y'all. We have to be transformed so that we act like this. Be devoted to each other like you are a family. Honor each other. Favor each other. Don't give up. Serve God. Follow the Holy Spirit. Be glad. <laughs> I think we need a lot more gladness and joy. Be glad. Hope. Be patient, which we are so not patient with each other. You know, we, we just don't cut each other very much slack, do we? We're in the midst of this, uh, of changing our worship services. And, uh, you know, that's now my area. I'm, I'm in charge of celebration. And I just say, please be patient with us. Be patient with me. Be patient with all of us. It's hard when you change things to get it running smooth, to get it running right. That doesn't mean you have to love it. Come and tell me if you like it or not. I want to hear. Write me an email. I want to know how you're experiencing it because we want to make it so everyone feels as good as possible. We like that. But be a little bit patient because it's hard. We've got a lot of people, a lot of moving parts. It's hard to get them all going exactly the right way. So be patient. Be patient. Pray. Give and be hospitable. Now, today we have a commitment card, which you got. And uh, part of it, I think, is, the, is uh, making a pledge because it's the end of our stewardship campaign, right? I think what Paul was saying to the Roman church was, you guys, you're asking the wrong questions. You're bickering about things. And I know, but he tried to redirect them. This is what really matters, how you treat each other. That's what really counts. And that comes out of being transformed because God first loved you. God wasn't impatient with you. God honored you. God res- I'm not asking you to do anything God didn't already do for you. God honored you. God respected you. God loved you. God was patient with you. And will continue to be. So you must be that way with each other. The- that is what you need to be arguing about if you're arguing about anything. Not how you worship, how you come together. That's what's important. Not how- if you even follow the law. It's not those things. It's how you treat each other. I've been trying to jump on this train called Resurrection, I think. And I was running really, really fast. I don't know why. I guess I'm just slow, maybe a little stupid, but running really fast with my head down. And something, I think someone actually tapped me on the shoulder and made me look up. And I saw some hands reaching out. Hands from the train reaching out to me. It didn't even occur to me to let someone lift me up on the train. No, I was too busy trying to get there myself. Because that's the way I am. Got to work hard and get there. You know? 
We're all on this train, y'all, all of us. And there's something for all of us to do on the train. Look at your commitment card. We've been highlighting different ministries for the last several weeks. There is something for everyone to do in this church. And we need everyone to be doing something. Because when you get that God has reached out to you, loved you first, that you are transformed by God's grace, by the faith that God's put in your heart, then you want to get up. You have to get up. You can't just sit in your train pew. You got to, you know, this isn't a train like you got to buckle your seatbelt and be afraid. This is a no seatbelts. Everyone up off of their seats and find something to do on this train. Today we highlight the physical and human needs. We're highlighting our facilities ministry and our congregational care ministry. Those are the people that take care of the train and keep it running. That stoke the engine and make sure it looks shiny so when people notice it off in the, in the way far away, they see that it's black and it's pretty and it's beautiful. You know, that's what that, that, and that, that, that ministry isn't any less important than the people that sing in the choir. It's just as important because no one can boast. We're all equal. We're all bad sinners and we're all just as unworthy of the love of God, but we all get it. The facilities, ministries are just as important as the people that preach the word. Just as important. And the human, taking care of the human needs, the congregational care ministries, they take care of the sick people on the train. They, t- they make sure the train, people on the train are feeling good. Because you can't have mutiny on the train. That gets you off course. You got to stay on course. So when there's sick people, you got to take care of them. You got to make sure everyone's feeling good on the train. But I'll tell you, there's one thing that all of us on the train have to do. And that is to get out of our seats and fling open the doors. Because there's people running alongside, running for their lives, trying to get on board. And it takes all of us, even though we have a job, we're taking care of the toilets or stoking the engine or whatever we're doing, you know, giving the directions, steering, whatever. Everyone has to come find the door, and it's not easy. You want to sit in your seat. You know, when I, I fly some, when I fly, I like to sit on the edge. I don't like to be over there because I want to get out when I can. And I kind of like to be in the front, too, because then I can get off the plane. I don't like it when you have to stand there for 10 minutes, you know, and it's all hot and get sweaty, and I want to get out. A little claustrophobia, I think. So when you get the good seat that you really like, don't you just want to stay there? That's how we are on this train, y'all. We get the good seat. We aren't getting up, by golly, because someone's going to get my seat. We can't be like that. We all have to get up, and we have to find the door, and we have to fling it open even though it's hard. And you know what? You've got to hang out and not be afraid you're going to fall off. You've got to reach your hand out and not be afraid that you aren't going to be strong enough to lift that person up who's running alongside. You just have to have some faith and some trust. And if you're not strong enough, then you get this guy over here to hang on to you while you're grabbing him. And if there aren't any people running alongside, then you holler, Hey, come on this train! It's free! You don't even have to buy a ticket! It won't even help you on! I mean, we got to let people know. Because I'll tell you something. You can get where you're going walking. But it's a lot faster when you're on the train. And there's a lot fewer impediments when you're on the train. When you're walking, you could fall in a hole and twist your ankle or something. When you're on the train, you don't have that stuff. And there's people on the train who help you. We're all going in the same direction towards God. And we want to bring people along with us towards God. And everyone on this train has got to find a place to be active. Because that's what it's like when you get that God has loved you. God has, has, has offered you salvation through faith and through grace. Pray with me.
Gracious and loving God, we praise you and thank you for this place. We thank you for calling us and loving us first, even though we can be just awful sometimes. God, we thank you that you love us, that you will always love us, and that you have offered us salvation. God, help us to open our hearts and let them be transformed by that knowledge. So transformed, God, that we will rise from our seats and move to the doors and fling them open, that we will reach out to people who are so desperately in need, people who are yet to know you. Help us, O God, never forget that there are souls hungry, that there are people waiting, that there are lives to be saved through your transforming love. Help us be those instruments. Help us be those hands. Help us not be afraid. Help us to reach out. For it is in the name of Jesus the Christ, the one that we follow, the one who showed us what it's like to live transformed, that we ask it. Amen.